Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Learn to type. Learn to drive. Have fun. Write postcards. Letters take too long and you won't do it. A postcard takes two minutes. Be punctual. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. They are not thinking about you. Write quickly. Taking longer doesn't usually make it better. Get up early. See the world. Call everybody by their first name from doctors to presidents. Have parties. Don't agonise. Don't regret. Don't fuss. Never brood. Move on. Don't wait for permission to be happy. Don't wait for permission to do anything. Make your own life. My mission this week is to be more Maeve. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Now Maeve's husband, writer Gordon Snell, previews the season, tells us a little about himself and reflects on life with Maeve. My name is Gordon Snell. I was married to Maeve for 35 years and very happy years they were too. And uh, we got married in 1977. So we had a a marvellous life together, both in London and then mainly in in Ireland after that. I'm delighted this season is coming on because uh, she was a a very good writer of plays as well as of novels and stories. But she liked writing for radio because uh, that's a, a scope for imagination and different characters. So she enjoyed that, and she had some te- television plays as well. And some of the novels, of course, were made into films like uh, Circle of Friends and Tower Road and How About You. So it, there was quite a varied output, but a, a radio was one of her favorite uh, mediums, I think. So. I lie here thinking about them all. This family I'm part of. Because I don't really know a lot of other people since I can't get out to meet them and not many of them come in here to meet me. Often I I get a bit bored and wish the day would soon come when they would understand me and I could tell them what things look like from down here in the cradle or the pram or wherever. Meanwhile, I just try to make sense of their lives. When I see you smile There was the series called The Seven Ages of Man based on the Shakespearean passages. She was allotted, uh, I think she didn't really want to, to, to uh, do the, the, the youngest ones, but they said, no, we want you to do infancy. So she said, well, that's a bit of a puzzle, but she thought for a bit, and then she was th- thought, had this marvellous idea of a baby who can understand everything that the parents and people around around them say and uh, make deductions from it. But uh, all the people can understand that she says is, is a gurgle or a, you know, a whimper, whatever. So it's very frustrating for the baby who is totally articulate in, in her, inside her head and uh, commenting on what uh, is going on around her, which turns, turns out to be quite an interesting domestic uh, situation, as you can hear in the play. So I try to smile, because that always pleases them. Then Cheska says to me, Oh, poor little Finton, I think you're smiling, but it's only the wind, isn't it? 
They've a total obsession with my having wind, which is very unfair. I mean, they burp and fart away and nobody takes them up and shakes them and beats the back off them like they do with me. And nobody says, it's just wind, when they laugh or smile. Then, when Sean comes home from the bank late, he sometimes comes in to see me and he sits beside the cot. Oh, Jesus, Jesus Finton, another, killer of, another killer of a day, he'll say. And I try to look sympathetic, but all he sees is wind or a nappy pin stuck into me or something. Don't ever join the bank. Infancy was performed by Michael Murphy as part of the Seven Ages of Man series. I think she had a gift for empathising with people and with characters and their dilemmas and their situations in, in, in families particularly. And I think she could think herself into a character and uh, the character and reacting to other people. I suppose it's an art that uh, writers do have to kind of think themselves into the character. And she certainly had that uh, very much in spades. I mean, she, she really uh, th- thought of, so, of herself as the person, I think, when she was writing that person. What do I call you? I thought Tia Maria sounded good. What do you think? I think it sounds like a hooker, actually, but it's it's your shot. Friends, Fergal? Friends. Tia Maria. I think that uh, the oddity of the title, because Tia Maria means... uh, I mean, I know it's a drink, but uh, it actually means Auntie Mary in, in, in Italian, I gather. Anyway... I think that that title appealed to her and then the notion of uh, somebody coming from America back to, as so many Americans do, back to Ireland to find their roots or whatever and and tracing down a, a secret that uh, she hasn't wanted widely told and appealed to her as a kind of mystery. And also the, the somewhat um, grumpy nephew that sort of given the, the detail of showing the aunt around. That relationship appealed to her. So, now we're settled. Where do you want to go? I meant it. I don't know. Do you have any friends you want to visit? No. Amazingly, no friends in Ireland. None at all. Well, I'm sure you've plenty back in the States. Yes, I do. Well, none of them came with you? No, this was something I had to do alone. You want to come to my parents' place in, in Dunro? It's it's a one-horse town, but they'd be glad to see you. I know Dunro. It's where I grew up. Yeah, but they sold Grandfather's Farm. That, that's not there anymore. It's just a shop now and in the main street and a bungalow behind it. I'm sure it's a fine place. Just fine. Steady on. <laughs> that would be going too far. But where will we go? You can't spend your whole vacation in the airport car park. I'd really like to go to Galway. Tia Maria was performed in Galway by Cathy Bates, David Kelly, John Lynch and John Kavanagh. I think she was a naturally sociable person and uh, she just liked uh, people and she liked uh, company and she liked chat and stories and conversations. So uh, I don't think it was difficult for her to uh, draw stories from, from anything she heard or talked about. But she was always a, gra- a grand participant in conversations. She didn't kind of try and dominate the the, the, the scene or the theme, but uh, she would l- listen. She was a good listener, although 
she was such, such a good talker, people forgot that this was the case, but she was listening all the time. And when in London, she used to sometimes miss her stop on the underground because she was listening to somebody eavesdropping on somebody's conversation and wanted to know how it ended. Really, Kitty, why don't you put up a notice saying three homes vacant waiting to be burglarised. He probably thinks we live in an institution. As if we ever would. We're not nearly old enough for that. We're nearly 80, Ethna. My Dorothy always says 80 is the new 65. Oh, what exactly does she mean by that? Oh, I'm not sure. She's always saying things like navy is the new black and handbags are the new shoes. Very obscure sort of way to speak. Well... She and James meet a lot of people, people who know things that go on in the world. I wouldn't call that knowing the way things go on. The train is the new bus. Lunch is the new dinner. None of us know what our children are talking about, for heaven's sake. Democratic decision was, uh, I suppose, about uh, people meeting again uh, when they were approaching their 80s and... uh, being a bit puzzled about whether the family is going to honour this or not. She was kind of looking ahead at what it would be like. And uh, also the fact that the, the, it was the, the, the same the same people who had met uh, so many years before um, returning to, uh, to, to gather again. That, that sort of reunion was often a, a theme that she liked to uh, explore. They sent Tracy, the loudest of the slappers, over to me to ask was I huffed. And when I said I wanted a proper party, without everyone lounging over billiard tables and in front of match of the day, in big lounges, they said, all right then, no hard feelings, have it my way. And what is your way, Etna? Hmm? No way, apparently. No party at all. You made your point. For all the good it did me. Children can be very difficult, it's true. Maeve was the eldest of the family, a family of three girls and a boy. They got on very, very well, and fortunately when I was brought into the family, I was uh, accepted very readily, and I got on very well with all of them. In fact, when I asked Maeve uh, what what they thought of me when I, I was going back the first time, she said, oh, they were delighted with you, and I said, what did they say? And she said, they said you were no trouble. So that was the big accolade, which I've later learned is the accolade here in Ireland. Well, I was born in Singapore, which is uh, very exotic, but uh, my father worked as a surveyor for the Singapore Corporation at that time. And um, so I was born there, and then uh, I was with my mother in Australia during the war, during the Second World War. And uh, my father was uh, interned as a prisoner of war, but fortunately got out afterwards, and we came back to the UK. So I was partly in Australia for my childhood and uh, partly in Singapore. I did my secondary schooling in the UK at a a school in Wiltshire. After that, I was uh, at uh, Oxford. I was at Balliol College at Oxford, which... uh, was reckoned at that time to be the kind of height of intellectual prowess, although I always regarded myself as uh, in the foothills of uh, any range of spectacular peaks that there might be in that field. 
But uh, I, I really enjoyed being a student, and uh, I think it's reflected in, in Maeve's uh, circle of friends particularly about student life. In fact, uh, a generation after her, you know, her nieces and people like that had, have said uh, how, how much it seemed to be reflecting their, their own life as students. So she had obviously got hit the mark in, in terms of the mood of student life. Then when I left, I joined the BBC. And then I was freelancing and, and as a radio presenter and reporter. And after that, I uh, came to Ireland with Maeve and uh, settled here. And here's one I've been asked for by a lot of people, always anxious to oblige when I can. The late Jean Pitney singing only 24 hours from Tulsa. This is one for the golden oldies if ever I heard one. <laughs> golden oldie Myers. <laughs> I thought you liked Ronan. I do like Ronan. And nobody's he's talking about perfectly ordinary songs as if they were something from a 19th century musical. Oh, he was speaking with inverted commas in quotation marks. I didn't hear any quotation marks. That's a great song, anyway. It's a crap song. It didn't matter how far he was from Tulsa, the rat still cheated on his wife. It's meant to show how regretful he was. So near home, and he fell at the last fence. What do you mean, near home? He was 24 hours away. He could have been in Tokyo. I get the feeling, Ewa, that nothing much is going to please you this weekend. No, no, I'm looking forward to it. Honestly, I am. Anyway, it's a break. It's a rest. You're away from the phone, from pressure, from people dragging out of you. Oh, no. Ema, No! You said you were going to take the day off. Just one day off from FMA to add to the weekend, and you can't even do that. Golden Oldie My Ass is a kind of shocking title, isn't it? You, you would uh, sort of blink of it when you, when you, when you hear it or, or see it on the, on the page. But um, it was very funny as part of the character who suddenly starts using this phrase when she's about to be uh, given the push by her firm. And... Uh, I think Maeve always thought it was very unfair that uh, at the time when uh, you know when pe- people don't necessarily expect the kind of uh, traditional thing that they used to be of going a set career and going on and, and retiring, and the unfairness of retiring when you didn't want to retire. Uh, I mean, there are set retirement ages in, in certain firms and so on. But it's a lot more flexible, isn't it? So you can go on to go on writing, and writing is a particularly good profession from that point of view. You don't you don't ever have to uh, say, "Well, that's it. I'm, I'm putting the pen down or putting away the keyboard." You just uh, carry on. And once we were, we were in a restaurant in Cornwall, and I said to Gordon, I'm very sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to stop talking entirely, just read the menu at me. And he said, why? And I said, because the couple of the next table are splitting up. <laughs> <laughs> I have to hear it. I have to hear it. <laughs> and they were talking about custody of the dog, I swear. it. <laughs> they'd been there for the whole week, and I actually nearly fell off my chair trying to get into their table to hear them. You can hear Oh, it was a wonderful night in the concert hall when Maeve uh, was being interviewed by Miles Dongan. And she was quite nervous before the event, in fact, particularly when she peeped around the curtains and saw how big the crowd was. But uh, when, once she was launched on 
stories. She, she was a, a brilliant raconteur, really. In fact, uh, after that interview, I, I think uh, s- somebody from the, the, the stage, uh, a comedian, wrote and said, I think we should go in t- and tour as, as a stand-up, you know, <laughs> because she was just so good at uh, fashioning the story, at, at which she did on the spot. I mean, she didn't uh, plan ahead how it would go on and end, but... Uh, and it's just it's so full of incident the way she described things she could you felt that she could see it and then she made you see it her writing was a, a, a way of telling stories and she just loved stories both uh, anecdotes of uh, real life or of, of people and people you'd met and people you'd overheard particularly but um, she, she was uh, I think people have compared her to the old uh, travelling storytellers that would go from town to town and they would be welcomed in and they would uh, regale the the local populace with their tales and stories and and epics of Irish legends. And uh, she wasn't much into the the legendary side of it, I don't think, but uh, she certainly felt that, uh, you know, there was a story everywhere and everybody had a story in them. She always said that, that uh, everybody has a story if, if, if they just look at themselves and uh, look around them. And that's how she, how she felt and that's how, how she managed to gather together in her mind and, and all this fund of stories, anecdotes and plots and characters. writer and one of nature's gentlemen Gordon Snell talking about his wife and partner Maeve Binchy. And our September season of Maeve Binchy radio plays begins next week with Infancy starring Michael Murphy and yes excerpts from that interview. We'll make the full unedited version featuring previously unheard material from that interview available exclusively online soon. So as we say stay tuned to RTE Radio 1 for details. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Learn to type. Learn to drive. Have fun. Write postcards. Letters take too long and you won't do it. A postcard takes two minutes. Be punctual. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. They are not thinking about you. Write quickly. Taking longer doesn't usually make it better. Get up early. See the world. Call everybody by their first name from doctors to presidents. Have parties. Don't agonise. Don't regret. Don't fuss. Never brood. Move on. Don't wait for permission to be happy. Don't wait for permission to do anything. Make your own life. My mission this week is to be more Maeve. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.